It is so great to be with you today, to be back with you, and to see uh, so many of you out. Last night we had a really full room, and this morning it's good to see so many familiar faces and to see some new faces uh, with us as we see new families every week. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so excited to just take a minute and encourage you dads, especially you young dads. I just want to thank you for the example that you're setting uh, for all of us. Uh, for your enthusiasm as a dad, for your willingness to get down with your kids and to make the most of every day, for the chance that you're taking to be different, to not go along with the things of the world, but to continue to lead your child to know the Lord. And I just want you to know that it doesn't go unnoticed, that I see that and I'm proud of you, and I just want to encourage you this morning to keep going. And so if you'll join me, all of you, let's go to God in prayer, thanking him for our dads and also continuing our prayer for our world and for our nation. Father, thank you for this day that you've made. Thank you for these men that you have called to be dads, fathers to the fatherless, Lord, a father to those that you have granted to be in our homes for a season. We are so grateful, and we ask for your continued strength and grace, Father, for your wisdom for us and for courage to lead. Lord, we pray for these things for our nation today, recognizing, Lord, that we have turned our backs to you that we have sinned against you as a people, as a world, as individuals. And Father, today we continue to turn to you and we pray for our world to turn to you, that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would heal us, that you would heal our families and that you would heal this world. Father, we look forward to your return, but we're grateful for your patience, that you would want none of us to perish. And so Father, reignite a fire in the heart of everyone who's here today and all of those who join us online, not only in this hour, but throughout the week, that, Lord, we would stand for what is true, not just when the circumstances call, but every day of our lives. May we be a beacon and a light that points to you, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I was reflecting this week actually making a list in my mind of all the things that I uh, had as expectations for Father's Day this weekend. It's the one day of the year, right, when it's all about us, guys. And it finally occurred to me yesterday after uh, lunch, I was, or uh, yesterday morning, I was preparing for a wedding, and I was praying, and God just really made it clear to me that it's actually my wife that I should be honoring on Father's Day, Right? the one who gave herself to me that I would have the privilege of being a dad. And so I hope that you men will join me in thanking your wives, those women that God have placed in your lives that have allowed us this opportunity to be dads. So Sarah, I thank you. And I thank you for being just a beautiful, beautiful mama and a wife to me. So thank you for that. Also, before we begin, I want to introduce you to a couple. I I had a wedding yesterday here in the church. It was one of the most beautiful weddings that I've attended, and it was one of the most enthusiastic for the bride and the groom. It was like marrying two high school kids, and they are here this morning. They're already back from their honeymoon. Older people know how to do things really quick, and... uh, (laughs) I want to be the first to introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Gerald Haas. Would you guys stand up over here? 
Very excited for those two, and I know that they're dear to many of us here at the church. Well, grab a Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts is sometimes considered like the fifth gospel, uh, written by Luke, the physician. Uh, He writes us this book that records the early start of the church, and we're going to be in chapter we're going to be in chapter 5, but you can set that aside for just a minute and pull out your outline because we're going to cover a little bit of ground before we get to this infamous account there in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, you're familiar. Some of you are very familiar. Uh, others, we've seen it on television. Uh, a man stands before a judge and a jury, right? And he raises his right hand and he puts his left hand on the Bible or vice versa. I I haven't had to do that for several years. And he makes a pledge. He makes a promise. He makes this statement. He says, I promise with God as my helper, with God as my witness to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And for the next several minutes, he is expected not to exaggerate the truth, not to say what people want to hear him say, but to say the truth, to speak the truth and nothing but the truth with God as his witness. Now, Christians, you and me, we are called to the same pledge. We make a pledge. Now, the throne isn't seen. The the judgment seat isn't seen right now. The judge that's presiding is, is present with us but isn't seen. But the Bible is. The Word of God is. And the world is watching just as the jury watches. And we, we are like that man. We are called to be a witness. We're subpoenaed by no less than Jesus himself in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he says, you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in your hometown. You will be my witnesses when you go into the big city. You will be my witnesses when you're on vacation in Florida. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth all over the world. Our job as a witness is to tell The truth. Now, there's one difference between the witness who is called to testify in a court of law and the Christian who is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And that one difference is this eventually, the person called to testify to be a witness in a court of law will step down. But a Christian never does. A witness for Christ will always be called to tell the truth. One of the most remarkable assessments of Jesus Christ's character is this summary statement from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. The prophet wrote, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. His every word was accurate. His every statement true. No cheating on tests, no altering the accounts. Never once did Jesus stretch the truth or shade the truth. My favorite about his truthful character is he never withheld the truth. He was always simply direct. No deceit was found in his mouth. 
And God desires the same for us. God does not seek to decrease or minimize our deception, but God's desire is to eliminate it altogether. For the Christian, deception is not an option. He's very blunt about this. The psalmist wrote, no one who is dishonest will live in my house. These are the words of God. No one who is dishonest will live in my house. Do you think that's blunt? That's a hard line, and it is. The Lord hates. You can look at all the different translations, and you will find just as strong a word. The Lord hates those who tell lies, but is pleased with those who keep their promises. Now, why the tough stance, right? Why use such a strong word like hate? Well, it's the subject of our teaching this final weekend of our series, More Like Jesus. And that is that God demands from us nothing but the truth. And so let's begin here. Just a few simple points for us this weekend. The first is this, dishonesty. Dishonesty is absolutely contrary to the character of God. Dishonesty, dishonesty is completely contrary to the character of God. How many of you remember the box office hit years ago, Liar, Liar, starring Jim Carrey, right? Hilarious movie. Jim Carrey's a dad, and Jim's got a son. The son makes a birthday wish, and right, what's that birthday wish? Is that his dad would no longer lie, right? Like many dads, <coughs> he was always busy, always making up an excuse. And now, right there before his son, every lie he tried to tell, every truth he tried to shade came out as brute, simple, direct honesty. And it caused quite an uproar in this man's life, both at home and at work. Now, according to Hebrews 6.18 and Titus 1.2, the Bible says it's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. It's not that he will not lie or that he's chosen not to lie, but that he cannot lie. That means for God to lie is like a dog being able to fly or a, a bumblebee being able to bark. It simply cannot happen. Why? God always speaks the truth. Now, why is this important to us? It's important to us because when God makes a covenant, he keeps it. When God makes a statement, he means it. When he proclaims the truth, we can believe it. What he says is true, even, even when we're not faithful, God will still be faithful because he cannot be false to himself. Now, that, that's perhaps the most <clears throat> complex, but the most encouraging statement ever. That God will still be faithful because he cannot be false to himself. This means that God will not go against his very makeup, his very character. What makes him God will remain true. And God's desire for us is that no matter our circumstance, 
no matter the situation that we are confronted with, no matter the challenge, that we too will remain true. Now, opposite of truth, we find Satan. I'm not allowed to leave the stage because I leave the camera. I'm coming right back for those of you that are listening. Don't sign off. Opposite of the truth, we find Satan. Now, we know that for Satan, it is impossible for him to tell the truth. Satan finds it impossible. In fact, the Bible refers to him as the father of lies, right? If there's a lie to be told, Satan is right there crafting it, speaking it himself. If you remember, deceit was the very first tool out of his tool bag in the Garden of Eden. He took a truth spoken by the Lord. The Lord said, you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of this garden, what? You will die. Now, he didn't have to romance Eve. He didn't have to seduce her. He didn't have to lure her in. All he had to do was lie to her. He says, God says you'll die if you eat the fruit. And then he just reverses it and says, you will not die. And we know what happens. She eats the fruit within a couple of sentences, right? A couple of minutes. Adam is right there eating the rest of it. And the honesty that once pervade in the garden was gone forever. And Adam and Eve's life was crushed, not by God, but by the lie. According to Psychology Today, their survey, we are still buying into the lies of Satan. Let me give you a couple of examples. More people say they've cheated on their spouse than on their tax return or expense accounts. Can you believe that? You know how prevalent it is for people to cheat on their income taxes? In fact, some of the commercials around April 15th encourage us to come to them so they'll help us maximize our return. And now, now more people are cheating on their spouses than these things. One out of three, 33 out of 100 people admit to deceiving a best friend. Someone that they call their best friend, the one that you tell your secrets to, they are telling them to everyone else and lying to you about it. Half of the people surveyed said that if they scratched another car in the parking lot, they would drive away without leaving a note. We know that's true. I've got two dents to prove it. Even though 90% of those people agree that it's immoral. They lie to themselves. We are dishonest with ourselves all the time. And the consequences are devastating. Look at the events of the last three months and the deception that we've bought into. Now, Sarah got after me last night. She said, I think you're a little bit hard on people who haven't been in church. And you're going you're gonna to have a tough week because you're going to hear about it. But I, I want you to just listen. And you decide for yourself. People are staying home right now from work because unemployment pays more than going to work. And we believe that's okay. Rioters are destroying the businesses that provide access to food and supplies to their own neighborhoods 
And then they're asking the local government to defund the very people that protect them in order to rebuild what they've destroyed. Physical space is no longer important when we're protesting, but you attend a church over the last couple of months in Kentucky, and you're cited and, and told to have a 14-day quarantine. Tell me if I'm, if I'm speaking untruth. Adults who choose to avoid worship gatherings with a couple hundred people, I mean, really, Adults who choose to avoid a worship gathering with a couple hundred people where you don't have to touch a door. You don't have to touch anything. And if you do touch something, it's by your own choice. And there's hand sanitizer within spitting distance of all of us. But yet we go to Walmart where thousands of people go each day At my Walmart, they're allowed 800 people at a time. And we touch things that have been touched by dozens of people who could care less about you and me. And we say, well, we have to eat. Well, we aren't in as tight of a space. Well, God didn't really mean that we had to gather together in person. We can watch online or or in a house group with our family. Churches have been closed for three months while liquor stores remain open. Hospitals were closed to you who need vital surgeries and care. You know they were. Your heart doctor appointments, your diabetic appointments, your knee replacements were all canceled while an abortion clinic in downtown Louisville remained open. Listen, 520 Kentucky COVID deaths, and you can't even be certain that it was COVID that killed them because if you are infected with COVID, they counted on the death certificate no matter what you were dying of. But there were 1,203 abortions in Jefferson County alone. Listen, We accept this deception as the norm when the consequences are significant. I want you to think about the last three months, and I want you to be honest with yourself. In the last three months, people have fallen away from their faith. There are people of faith. We can't even go three weeks without the gathering, my friends, and we become unfaithful, let alone three months Our children are delaying their decision to become Christ followers because we've kept them at home. I know of one young man who was set to be baptized, but his family couldn't come out because of COVID. Even though you could come with just your family and be baptized, these church doors were never closed and they never will be. We feel more and more isolated and alone. More people, more people right now are depressed and anxious. They may not be reporting it right now on the news, but it will be there, the statistics of those who are taking their own life right now because of the hopelessness that this lie has brought. 
relationships are falling apart the very first week of social isolation. I can't tell you the number of calls that I got of real, sincere marital crisis as Satan brought things to the surface in people because they were no longer around other believers. You know it's true because you've experienced it. I experienced it, and I didn't even social isolate. Your isolation brought it on me. It's one of the most challenging three months Sarah and I have had in our life, and we're fine. We're fine, but it, it's not fine for many. We honestly believe the lie that this is our duty. Governor Bashir in Kentucky has said over and over again, this is your duty. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, the duty of man is to fear God and keep his commands. So here, perhaps the question shouldn't be why does God demand honesty? But the real question is why do we tolerate such dishonesty? Why has it become so acceptable to our daily living? Two simple reasons. The first is this. We don't like the truth. Some of you won't even look at me right now. We don't like the truth. Most of us can sympathize with the husband. Please sympathize with this husband. Received a call from his wife just as she's about to fly home from a business trip. She said, how's the cat? She, he says, the cat's dead. She says, well, that wasn't very nice. You could have broken the news to me more gently, right? When I called three or four days ago, you, you could have said the cat's up on the roof, right? And then the, the couple days later when I called, you could have said the cat's at the veterinary's office, right? A couple days later, you could have said, I, I, I've got the cat at home right now, been, been holding the cat. And then when I got home, then you could have said, honey, honey, the cat's dead. And he said, okay, like any good husband, he said, I've learned, right? I'll do better next time. Next question she said is, how's mom? He says, uh, she's on the roof, right? <laughs> the fact is, we don't like the truth. We don't like it. We don't like the truth. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like the truth, and we haven't liked the truth since we were three years old when mom walked into the room and said, did you hit your little brother? And we learned that honesty has consequences. So we learned to cover things up. Did you hit your brother? Well, it depends on what you mean by hurt. I made contact with him, but would a jury consider it a hit? You know, everything's relative, you know. Did I hit my brother? Yes, I hit my brother, but it's not my fault. If I didn't have those bad chromosomes, those, those aggressive chromosomes, and had you not allowed me to watch those TV shows or play those violent video games, this would have never happened. We don't like the truth. But more than that, we don't trust the truth. We don't trust it. I alluded to this a couple weeks ago in my sermon that the last time I outright lied to my wife was 17 years ago. We were engaged to be married. <laughs> and my wife asked me a test question. How many of you guys have been asked one of those test questions, right? The test question is when she already knows the answer. She knows the answer, but she's going to ask you to see if you give her the answer that she's looking for. 
And she posed a question to me, and because I already knew her so well, I knew that that answer would be disturbing to her. It would. It would rock her foundation. You're thinking it's some big, big deal. Well, it was a big deal, but, but it's not like a big sin thing other than the lie I told because I outright lied. I just outright lied because I didn't think she could handle the truth. And in that moment, that was the worst day. It was the worst day out of all of the challenging times that we've had in our lives together. That was the worst day in my life because she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she says, there's no way that I can marry a liar. And I had to plea with her. And, and if you know me, I don't like anything to go unsettled. I got to settle it right then and there. And so for the next, I don't know, it must have been hours. I, on my knees, pled with her, and I made a promise to her. I made a promise to her that I would never lie, not about anything. And you guys know that's a dangerous statement to make to your wife, because she will ask you questions, and if you answer those questions truthfully, you're going to have to really, really trust that truth is the right way to go. See, trusting the truth isn't just doing the right thing. Trusting the truth is knowing that the truth is the only acceptable answer and that God will bless us for trusting him with truth over deception because it boils down to this. Trusting truth is to trust God, but trusting deceit is trusting Satan. Well, in Acts chapter 5, we're finally there, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira represent just how much we do not trust the truth and how much God hates deceit. Let's look together in verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' Feet. Now, what's going on? Well, you can look at the previous chapter, chapter 4, and you can see what's going on. This is after the day of Pentecost. This is after the day that Peter preached that first sermon. It's after the day that the Holy Spirit had come on the apostles. It's after the day that 3,000 men plus women plus children were baptized. It was an amazing, an amazing event. Thousands upon thousands of people. The early church was birthed. And people were gathering together, not just in their homes. People use this as a position that we can worship at home. But they were gathering every day in the synagogue, in the temple courts. And every day they were gathered together, the needs began to surface, right? The more you're with people, the more you understand people's needs. And one of their needs was just daily provision. Some of these people come from some distance, I understand, in order to celebrate Pentecost. And so there were needs. And there was a guy in the group, his name was Barnabas. It's right there in the latter part of chapter 4. Barnabas, he decided that he would sell some of his possessions. He had a piece of land. He sold that piece of land. And he didn't take just a tenth of the profit. He took the entire proceeds from the sale. And he brought it to the apostles' feet. And the apostles' feet, the preacher... He spread that out and gave it to the people in need so that they could have food and shelter and the things they needed while they were there. Ananias and Sapphira want to appear to do the right thing, but they didn't want to give up all the money from the sale of the property. And so they held back some of it and they lied about it. Now, most of you know the story. And let's just qualify this real quickly. 
Was it okay to hold some back? Absolutely. That property belonged to them. No one told them they had to sell it. Not even God told them that they had to sell it. They sold it by their own free will. Whether they gave anything to the church or not was up to them. So why the lie? Because they wanted people to see them as being farther along in their faith than where they were, and so they chose to lie. Look at verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? (coughs) Did it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? This is what I was telling you about. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Look at verse 5. What does it say? Ananias was blessed. Ananias fell dead and was carried out. Four verses later there in verse 9, his wife comes in. They come church separate. I know a couple people do that here. The guy's always running late because he's not on time for anything. So his wife comes on ahead of him. But in verse 9, his wife comes in. His wife comes in, and listen, Peter even walks up to her and says, Hey, now, now you're going to have an opportunity in a minute to tell the truth. And I just want to tell you, your husband didn't tell the truth, and, and we just carried him out of here. And even with that warning, verse 9 says, She lied to and fell dead right there. Now, people chuckle when they read this, and they, and they say under their breath, I'm sure glad does, God doesn't still strike people dead for lying, right? <clears throat> but I'm not for sure that he doesn't. I'm not for sure that he doesn't. You see, the wages of sin is still death. Not death of the body right away, but death of a marriage, death of a conscience, death of a career, Death of our faith, death of intimacy, death of trust, death of peace, death of credibility, death of self-respect. But the most tragic death that occurs from deceit is death to our witness. And that's why the penalty had to be so severe. Sometimes we just don't accept the reality that every choice we make, everything we say as Christians has to be put up against the question, will this choice, will this word, will this action, will this response point to the truth of Jesus Christ? Because first and foremost, we're called to be a witness. Here's a final takeaway for this weekend. And at first, it may seem out of place to you. It did to me when I first wrote it down. And that is, if we're faithful in the small things, God will trust us with the greater things. You've heard that before. If we're faithful in the small things, God will trust us with the greater things. Now, it seems out of place because we're conditioned. We're conditioned to believe that truth isn't so far-reaching. The truth is over here in our relationships and our workplace, and that's over here. The two don't intersect, but it's just the opposite. Truth has everything to do with being trusted with more. 
Truth has everything to do with being trusted with greater growth, greater boundaries, greater provision, greater blessings. How many of you watch high school football? Right, I have a brother-in-law who was a coach, right? And his son is a senior this year at West Washington. I'm so glad he graduates this year because I'm so tired of watching high school football. But me being the non-sports fan that I am, I've been to a few more games than I plan to attend. One would be a few more than I plan to attend. But I've been there. And one of the things that I've learned is that there's always a player, there's always a player that's charged with taking the play from the coach to the huddle. And so what happens? What happens if that player takes the play and the play that the coach calls for is a pass, but the player, when he gets to the huddle, says to the team that the coach called for a run? What happens if he lies? Will they lose? Well, not always. Sometimes, and it seems to be the norm these days, just go and do your own thing, right? And it'll work out. Will the team lose automatically? Will it ruin the game? Probably not. But one thing's for certain. Next time the coach wants to send a play out to the huddle, do you think he's going to call on that person? No. He's not going to call on that player. And how we handle the truth determines God's trust of us and the most important responsibilities that he has given us here on this earth. Most importantly, that of being a witness. Have you been faithful in the small things? Well, it depends on how you've handled the truth. Let's take a little survey right now. Look inside yourself and your actions. Look at your circumstances. Is God trusting you with the greater things? You say, what do you mean? Let me give you some of the greater things in my life, like seeing your family and friends come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Or are you still fighting the same fights and battles you were this time last year? See the difference? Is he trusting you with the greater things in your marriage? Is your marriage improving or are you cycling through the same failures? What about your finances? Are you robbing from one area in your life in order to pay for another? You can say the same thing about time. Or is there always enough for what God is asking you to give and to do? You see, for many of us in this room this weekend, listening online, we're in a dilemma. And that is, will we tell the truth or will we continue to live in deceit? Some of you are wondering this weekend if truth should really have such a far-reaching impact. But we have a choice. We have a choice, and it begins with this statement. For many in this room, 90% of you in this room, made this choice a long time ago, but you're not acting on it. You made the choice. You said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as Savior and Lord of my life. You're thrilled to death that he's your Savior. But when it comes to truth, you just aren't quite for sure if you can trust him with being Lord. The question that we need to ask is, will God bless my deceit? No, he will not. Will God, who hates lies, bless a life built on lies? Absolutely not. 
Will God trust a liar with more? There's no way. There's no way. And so if he's really Lord, then you'll do what he says and you will be his witness. You'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But you'll do it with God's help. You'll do it with his spirit that lives inside of you. That empowers you when that humanness comes up inside of you and says, I really don't know if I can trust this or not. This is a really hard truth to live out. This is a really hard choice to make. Look at everybody around me right now. Look at what they've told me my duty is right now. To say, God, you've called me You've commanded me. You don't ask anything of me that you don't empower me to do. And so you say, yes. Over the last nine weeks, while we've journeyed together through this series, many of you have studied together on Wednesday nights in your Walk Like Jesus group. Just a quick show of hands. Just, just wave out there if you were part of a group. We had almost 70 people in groups. And, and I have heard from many of you how amazing taking these very simple truths of who Jesus Christ is and what he expects of us today as we walk like him, I have heard of great, great transformation. I have heard of people making decisions about where they would live based on a greater understanding of Jesus Christ and what his desire is for us. I have talked to men who were living in deceit, who decided that it would be best to trust the truth because of their exposure to this teaching. As we take these last 10 minutes of our time together to determine what our next steps are going to be individually, I hope that you'll make this song your plea. When you start to hear the words, you'll have to decide whether you'll just sing it deceitfully or whether you'll sing it because it's the truth. Let's stand together and then I'll help you take your final step. Now that's an amazing commitment, isn't it? And it's a hard one. And it's a hard one. And just as some of the truths that have been shared with you today are hard, they're hard. And it's not been easy the last three months. I, I know it's not. But friends, it's never going to be easy. From this point forward, from this point forward, we will face some of the greatest challenges that the generations past and I believe the generation present will ever face. And your willingness, your surrender to Jesus Christ is the only thing that's going to bring you through. And it matters more now, your witness to the world and to your very family. There are unsaved people in your own families. It matters more now than it ever has. And so listen, today is not intended to be critical of the past. Today is to challenge us for today and for the future. And so this final song 
This final song is an amazing, an amazing song. It simply is our cry to God that we want to be more like Jesus. It's our only hope. It's where our strength comes from. And so today, if you'd like to respond and and have someone pray with you, I'll get all hand sanitized back up. I was all snotty a minute ago. But I'm okay now and I'll get cleaned up. It'll be safe. But me or Brandon, he's always clean. David, he'll be up front here and we would be honored to pray with you. If you've come today and and you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and Christian baptism, then you come and we've got to change the clothes for you and we'll be glad to lead you through that. Maybe today you just need encouragement. You need somebody to say, hey, it was good that you came out today. I'll give you that encouragement. It's good that you came out today. And those of you that are listening, I'm so glad that you dialed in today. Take heart to be in the truth. Dan. Dan.